Hello everyone, this is Nolan with the 307 RPG Podcast, and I just want to say thanks to all of our awesome patrons. If you like our show and want to support us, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash the Forge Herald. Thanks everyone, hope you enjoy the show. Hello everybody and welcome to the 307 RPG Podcast. My name is Patrick and I am your host and I am joined as always by my co-hosts. I'm Nolan. And I'm Cody. All right, fellas, it's a new week, a new time. Tell me something interesting. There's got to be something you guys are doing that's fun and entertaining right now. Well, uh, I don't know how RPG or tabletop of what we do, but last night my raid team decided to uh, not raid, and we got on a thing called Jackbox TV. And you can kind of play through uh, browser-based games, but we played some call a game called Fibbery last night that was kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, Anyway, just kind of around the table, we were able to play through phones and that kind of stuff, and that was pretty fun. And then we picked up a game on Steam called Deceit and played it, and it was very much reminded me of the uh, like secret uh, Hitler-style games where everybody around the table is kind of playing and trying to figure out who uh, is the bad guy in this situation. And in this one here, it's a first-person kind of horror game where you wake up with a gun and a knife and you're in either like a hospital or an insane asylum or a mansion. Um, and of the six players, two people were infected. Uh, and yeah, it was just kind of a, it was a fun night to, uh, I guess, not do anything too crazy, but really remember how much I missed game nights and playing with friends and getting around the table. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> it was fun, but also depressing at the same time, realizing that we couldn't do that for a while still. Yeah. Hey, you know, I think it's interesting. You talked about, you know, your raid team and, and not raiding, especially when, and, and I'm, <laughs> I know Nolan doesn't like to brag, but I'm going to make him do it. You just got a pretty fancy new computer. Tell us about it. Oh yeah, I, I got. Uh, I had been saving up for a while and got one of the Corsair One units, and been doing everything in my power to try and uh, break it graphically. Uh, obviously, by playing, uh, you know, classic horror games with horrible graphics and digital uh, browser-based games. And so I haven't yeah, really yeah, got a chance to break totally it in. Break it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had a chance to break it in yet. But looking forward to it. Uh, I was able to live stream some of the stuff I was doing last night. Uh, just in Discord, which is a fun feature that I wasn't aware of for uh, sharing screens and browsing games and that kind of stuff. Uh, super streamlined, very easy. People were able to watch while we were doing a couple of Mythic Dungeons and that kind of thing. But very excited for it and hopefully gives me an opportunity to maybe put out some more content in the, the future as things get more acclimated and get a little more fired up about getting aggressive with some things. We, we really appreciate you keeping that Ferrari to 10 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're going to make the rest yeah. of us look bad. <laughs> that, that poor thing. I haven't knocked the cobwebs off yet. So That's really cool. Cody, how about you? Anything fun and exciting going on? Not a whole lot. I'm working on just trying to get some stuff together. I might DM a one shot over the internet here shortly. We'll see how things go. I don't know. Very cool. I will say, you know, I know we typically do this where we record where each of us at our own houses, but, you know, we do play in Scarred Lands and Vampire together, and I miss you guys. That's just hands down. I miss playing with you guys. Yeah, I miss your face too, buddy. 
All right, enough of that. Let's move on. Um, D&D, there's not a whole lot with D&D news. In fact, there's not a whole lot of news, period. But we are going to move on to D&D news. I wanted to talk about on the D&D website, there is an article called Remote D&D Tips and Tricks. Play safe, stay safe is the concept here. And that's exactly how it's labeled on the D&D website. And they've put together a list of stuff, a list of resources, I should say, where you can, or that you can use to continue to play games. And, and some of it we've been doing, we've talked about using Roll20, um, which is something we do, as well as using Discord. Uh, there is a feature, and I, I, Nolan mentioned it, and I actually just saw it, called Go Live on Discord. So I'd imagine that's a way you could stream your games in DD nolan from my understanding is is you can stream it to or what you're working on uh, or the game you're working on to the people in the chat channel um and so i imagine if you are a dm or something like that and i'm wanting to show everybody in that chat group or in our thing um, i can go live and show you my screen uh, you could hop in and that would be a way to pull up maps or you know just some additional stuff if you weren't uh, if it wasn't working well with your group through Roll20 or if they didn't, you know, just have the computer to do it and they were on their phones or whatever and you just wanted to show them. So just a nice opp opportunity. I don't know. It's another avenue to play when things are weird. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that until, like I said, you said that and I just kind of happened to look down. I was like, oh, hey, look, it's right there. So that's kind of cool. <clears throat> have either of you messed with Fantasy Ground? I attempted, I think at one point. When Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds were both pretty big. Okay. I never messed with that one. Yeah. Very similar feel to Roll20. It's the same table, like a uh, virtual tabletop platform. That's really cool. I know Astral is another one that we've talked about that I was kind of messing with, but I hadn't dove into yet. And of course, if you are a D&D player and you're not using D&D Beyond, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, it is something that we have used basically since its inception, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, guys? I think so. I think we were pretty quick to jump on board with it. It made things so much easier. And uh, as somebody that loves books and had and has, I guess, most of fourth and third and <laughs> a lot of second edition for uh, collector's sakes, uh, I'm grateful I don't have a fifth edition collection like those. <laughs> You're afraid it's going to break your shelf? <laughs> Yeah, scared I'm going to have to move and pack it all at some point and regret it. My back thanks me. Hey, you can tell you're getting to be an older gamer there, Nolan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I agree, except I still love books. And as the oldest of the three of us, I can say that I'm happy to lug those books around because I, I, I do. I love books. I love having them. It doesn't mean I'm opposed to technology. You all know that oftentimes I'll have whatever we're playing on my iPad and be playing with that instead of using the actual book uh, or even using rules sets that way. It, it really does help us when we have a limited number of rule books and I have one on my iPad plus a, a hard copy. It gives us two copies of the book, which is always helpful. I My issue with buying the D&D Beyond books is that I don't at least get a PDF that I can stash on an external hard drive. So if D&D Beyond goes away, the, the idea being, or at least the fear for me being, I lose those books that I paid for. Yeah, I can understand that. Yep, I agree. But, That's why I have both. Yeah, well, you're just insane, Cody. <laughs> <laughs> But still, it is a great tool. Uh, it's been really beneficial as you know. we're looking at doing, I'm looking at running a one-shot of the little wild mount adventure that James Heck wrote uh, that's available on D&D Beyond. Uh, for some folks who haven't played with us before, uh, including my son, which is going to be interesting, 
So it's been nice introducing him and other players to D&D Beyond and allowing them to see just how useful that tool is because it really is fantastic. It pretty much does everything you needed to do except roll the dice. And I will say from a DM standpoint as well, if you're playing a adventure that you haven't written yourself, you're trying to play through a campaign book, having the monsters be able to just be there, have them as a hover over option, um, not having to be like, oh, well, what page is you know this stone golem on in the monster's manual? Let me grab another book and bog down. I mean, just for pace of play on a lot of that stuff, it's been a great feature. Oh, for I sure. completely agree with that. It, it is very nice. And again, that's another thing that I've done is had D&D Beyond on my iPad, the adventure, you know, printed on one side and then another book on one side. I'm able to access and even move between books on D&D Beyond is very, very easy to do. Yeah. And I will say that the new encounter builder, the little bit I've done with it has been really nice not to have to like have 14 tabs open with different monsters and whatnot. That's all super quick. They're all right there. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic tool. Now, keep in mind, you can do it for free. There is a free site of D&D Beyond. Now, if you want to run a game and you want to have access to all the tools and content sharing ability, you're going to need to pay for that. And I want to say it's like five or six dollars a month. I don't know. I've been paying for it since its inception. And I just it's just something I I don't have any issue paying for. Same. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I like about D&D Beyond, which is kind of the topic of our night, is that it does allow you to enable critical role content. So stuff that has been put on D&D Beyond that may not necessarily be in a book, i.e. the Gunslinger class, you get to use that in D&D Beyond by enabling that content, which I think is fantastic. And the idea of sharing your books, like if Nolan is running a game and he decides he wants to let it make it so where we have access to the books that he's that he's purchased, he can enable content sharing, which allows us to access those books. And, and I will say real quick, kind of circling back just for anybody, the basic rule set is available for anybody who has never played D&D 5th Edition for free which will let you create a character and lo and behold if you don't have any dice which most people in this hobby tend to have dice but if you don't and you have siri or alexa they will happily roll dice for you if you ask them right and i guess it was james wyatt who discovered that virtual assistants like siri and alexa can roll what is it from d4 to d100 yep (laughs) that's very cool so yeah there's lots of options out there there is and of course, you can purchase adventures through the DMs Guild, through Drive Through RPG, which we have a link at the top of our website. So there's all sorts of options that you can use to play online and play official content. Adventure League content is fantastic. I've often talked about one of my favorite adventures is Curse of Strahd. I've often talked about going back and buying all the AL stuff for Curse of Strahd and then running just a massive campaign. That's uh, the thing too, with not a lot of stuff coming out, kind of allowing you to segue a little bit is a lot of people are giving out content for free. Uh, I know a lot of the basics are coming out just a a great time, you know, kind of that new player's guide. Here's the basics, hop and play, give it a go. I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter of people getting to finally play in their first game because they have time. Onyx Path has been giving out kind of a a dedicated every couple days on their stuff, a a different starter book. So, you know, while it may not be the, the best time to buy something, you know, and, and put out new products, they're still taking care of their players, which has been great to see from just about everybody that we usually cover. So 
speaking of Onyx Path, did notice that they had released the print-on-demand version of the Chicago Folios. So that is something that if you were part of the Chicago by Night Kickstarter, you now have an option to purchase that book, POD, at almost cost. So that is a fantastic option for you to complete your Vampire 5th Edition uh, collection if you want to. Of course, you can always get that in PDF. If you were in the Kickstarter at the right level, you should have gotten a free copy of the PDF. I was super excited to purchase this book because the PDF that I've looked through is fantastic. And it adds more richness to the Chicago adventure that we're already playing in. Nolan, you mentioned Onyx Path giving some stuff away a couple weeks ago. They were doing free copies of the 20th anniversary edition of Select Core Rulebooks. So if you happen to get that, that was an excellent opportunity to get things like Mage the Ascension or or Changeling the Dreaming or Wraith the Oblivion or even Werewolf. And I think what was the other one? I don't remember. It wasn't Vampire. For some reason, I'm drawing a blank. But anyway, you could grab free copies of those. And now this right now until I think April 17th, it was they are doing a huge sale on Exalted. So if you are a fan of Exalted, second edition, I think it is, uh, you have an opportunity to pick these uh, books up at 75% off. Now, of course, it's just the PDF. But, you know, in this day and age when shipping is going to be extremely slow, Nolan, that's why your boom hasn't arrived. That is an excellent option to get the book and get it instantly. And if you have a digital reader like an iPad or a Kindle or, or any other tablet, it goes right onto your tablet and you can flick through it just like you would a book. So those are great options for you if you are an Exalted player, 75% off of those. Have either of you ever looked at Exalted? I think just what we covered uh, a little bit when we looked at it. Same. I haven't really messed with Exalted. I, I was I have a couple of friends tried to get me into it a, uh, several years ago and just never got into it. I do think it's an interesting game. Just never, I don't know, never pulled the trigger. Say so we have more time than ever now to play stuff, but even then it's still, it's still a long list of stuff to get caught up on. Oh my gosh, it's a huge list of stuff to get caught up on. And speaking of things to get caught up on or even interested in, I was looking through Modifius's website just again, trying to find some news and did not find a whole lot of news, nothing new coming out that I could find. However, I did want to talk just, just a little bit, just briefly about the Conan RPG. Have either of you looked at this book? I didn't realize they did an RPG, uh, honestly, on it yet. I mean, it makes sense. I just... It, it's such a huge world, great books. I loved the MMO. I like their survival game. I like, I like the world. I love, I mean, it's just, yeah. And now seeing that there's an RPG, it's like, oh man. Right. It's just another thing where you're like, God damn it. Another one. <laughs> I'm kind of interested in this one now. I tell you, if you haven't looked at it, you should check out the artwork. You talk about classic sword and sorcery type artwork. This is this like stuff right out of the Conan comic books. This is awesome. I really, yeah, I, I think it was one of the very first ones that I remember getting like the playing cards for and seeing that old style portrait uh, and the just these huge muscular people and the occasional barbarian woman with, with apparently you don't need armor on your hoo-hahs because I'd be afraid I'd get a nipple cut off or something. So I never understood that. But it was just one of those things of like that had such an impact of me growing up that I was just like, what what is this? And then finding the books and reading the short stories and and just what a great uh, I mean a tragic ending, but a, a great great world. Hey, yeah, chainmail bikinis are plus three to AC, bro. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> no, I'm just being a sweat. 
you know, this really, when I look at the artwork for this, it really reminds me of things like Boris Vallejo or Brahm or, or some of those, you know, very famous fantasy artists. And again, folks, if you haven't seen that, I'll try to grab some one of these and throw them in the show notes so you can see it. It's just really cool artwork. Yeah, for sure. I think I'm very fond of the ancient ruins and cursed cities cover that's a very cool looking book kickstarter i wanted to talk quickly about a kickstarter that gosh you talk about taking the kickstarter world by storm now some of you may have heard of or even played the huge uh, board game gloomhaven this was a massive board game i think the freaking game weighs in it about 10 pounds um i have a copy of it i haven't had a chance to play it yet it is an rpg in a box it's an epic game so things change as you do stuff uh so you have to kind of keep track of where you're at all the reviews for gloomhaven were just through the roof uh cody did you ever mess with this one a little bit a little bit it's that dark horror cthulhu-esque type feel to that one and Gloomhaven came out in, I believe, 2017, and it was just, I mean, it exploded on the board gaming scene. It definitely hit when legacy games had started to take off, and it really, really did well. Yeah, I mean, fantastic miniatures, awesome maps, stuff like that. Everything you could need to, let me play an RPG in a box. Well, they have created a sequel to Gloomhaven called Frosthaven. I want to say, I mean, the the goal for this game was $500,000, which is a huge goal. I think it was by the end of the first 24 hours, they were over $5 million in pledges. Gosh. (laughs) You have to understand, this is not, you know, this is one of those massive games that you don't pay $30, $40, $50 to get this game. I mean, minimum, you're going to spend 100 bucks. I think Gloomhaven for a while was over 200. So a minimum, you're going to pay $100. So to actually get the board game itself, you have to pledge at that $100 level. Keep in mind, this does not include shipping. Estimated delivery of this is March 2021. If you want to get, like, gosh, it looks like if you want to get all the um, stretch goals, maybe, you're going to have to pledge in at the $145 level. You were saying it's a, I mean, it's, I guess I haven't seen the box other than on your shelf, but it seems like you get a lot for that right i mean that that doesn't seem considering what usually you kick back or what i usually kickstart or back or whatever or collector's editions and that kind of stuff i mean it's hard to get outside of 120 dollars, and i feel like you get some, some good value out of it there is just a ton of stuff like looking at the gloomhaven box itself and this is i'm sorry the, the frosthaven box um and this is really comparable to gloomhaven i think gloomhaven is actually just a touch of bigger uh, gloomhaven or with frosthaven you get the map which is you know a nice board style map you get of course the rule books scenario books puzzle books there are miniatures that you get in this case you get six there's 10 character or unlockable characters there are double-sided tiles there are you know, overlay tiles, there's plastic stands and monster cards. And I mean, and it just goes on from there, you know, loot cards, random dungeon cards, item cards, event cards. And this isn't like five or six, this is like 40 and a hundred and 160 of each, you know, and this, there's a reason why these boxes weigh in it, 10, 15 pounds. Yeah. That's it's, it seems like a pretty good value. I mean, and it seems like a quality product. It doesn't seem like it's, cheap in any way the art's good the quality looks good i mean 
Yeah, I can see why they funded so quickly. I mean, I don't necessarily know six and a half million funded so quickly will ever be understandable, but good for them. Well, and, and just like the uh, Critical Role Kickstarter, it's interesting just sitting here looking at their their page right now, and and you just see the pledges roll in. And on, in a time where you know money is tight for everybody, it's amazing that people are are jumping in on this and 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 pledging. And I think it's great. Congratulations to the creators of Frosthaven. It's a hell of a hell of a Kickstarter. And I do believe, you know, some of that too could be that you do have access to Gloomhaven and a lot of its stuff through this Kickstarter too. So well, those people that add on, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, so those people that missed out on some of that stuff that you can't get a hold of for Gloomhaven, some of it you can get a hold of again through the Frosthaven Kickstarter as add ons. Right. And it looks like the, to add Gloomhaven itself would be an additional $100. And then there's other things that you can get that I'd imagine were only Kickstarter stuff, uh, like the, what is it, the solo scenarios. Uh, it's a $15 add-on. Looks like it comes in a really cool little screen with some cards. Uh, so, there, yeah, there's definitely some stuff for Gloomhaven that you have the ability to get. And they've duplicated a lot of that stuff for Frosthaven. So I'm going to make sure there's a link in the show notes for this one. I, I think this is one that you should at least kind of take a look at and see what, what it's about, because I know Gloomhaven was in the, the board gaming industry in the board gaming world. It was like all the rage for quite a while. Okay. Yeah. I don't have anything else. News has been, you know, pretty quiet. Uh, there's not a lot going on in the gaming industry. A lot of folks are pulling back and just trying to see how well they can weather the storm. So that means we are going to come to our topic of the night. Give me just one second as I grab this link. Okay, so the topic of the night. This is something we've been talking about since January that we're going to lead up to this one. Uh, this is the month of Critical Role. Now, Critical Role is, if you haven't heard, maybe you've lived under a rock, I don't know, and you're in the RPG um, world and you love RPGs, you should have heard of Critical Role. Whether you love it or hate it, I know there's people on both sides of the fence. Doesn't matter. We are going to be talking about Critical Role for the next month. Now, we will not necessarily be talking about the show. We're not going to be you know, going into the characters that those folks play or anything like that. Instead, what we're going to be focusing on is some of the stuff that has come out of Critical Role, like tonight. Tonight, we are going to be talking about the Taldurai campaign source book. We're going to be going through it, not necessarily, well, kind of chapter by chapter telling you what's in each chapter. We won't do a huge, huge deep dive into it because that would take hours, but we will be highlighting some of the things that each of us liked about this book. This book came out in, I want to say 2017. Is that correct guys? That sounds about right. I'd have to look. Yeah. Yeah. 2017. Yep. Now this was released by geek and sundry and green Ronin publishing. It is of course using the D and D five E rules. Now, some of you are saying why geek and sundry. Well, because when critical role first came out, they were under the geek and sundry banner. They have since broken away and formed their own thing and kudos to them for doing so. Of course, that was probably so they could do that Kickstarter, that massive Kickstarter they did. So anyway, our topic of the night, of course, is the Taldry source book. I wanted to mention real quick that you can only find this book so far, at least as far as I've found, on Amazon. It's not available on Geek and Sundry. It's not available on Green Ronin. And it's not available on Critical Role's website. I have included a link to the uh, um, Amazon what uh, Jesus. I have included an Amazon link, so if you are interested in purchasing that book, you can. Uh, looks like Amazon currently has that book on sale for about 22 bucks, marked down from 35 So 
excellent opportunity to grab that book if you are interested in it. So let's talk about the book as a whole. Now, this book is important to remember that this takes place after the events of season one of Critical Role. So after the events of Vox Machina. And I think that's really important that people remember that. Yeah, he says in the very start of it that it's, you know, you can use it for wherever you want, take it, make it your own. But a lot of the historical updates, a lot of the factions, you will get little, maybe Easter eggs is not really the right word, maybe it is, but of the actions that happened out the campaign. So some spoilers, if you haven't finished it at this point, uh, you're probably not going to, but <laughs> probably <laughs> given the time frame, I'm not going to apologize for it. So Yeah, exactly. In fact, I remember as I was reading through it, uh, during the section on the uh, where they talk about the Chroma Conclave, they specifically talk about uh, the the effects that Vox Machina had on the Chroma Conclave and eventual downfall of the Chroma Conclave because of Vox Machina, mm-hmm. which happens during season one. So let's talk about chapter one of this book. Chapter one is a history lesson. It is the history of Exandria, which is the world, and and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Tal'Darai is the continent, correct? Yes. Yeah. So it is a continent uh, in the world of Exandria. The continent to the west, or sorry, to the east of it is Wildmount, which is, as, as everybody knows, is a book that recently came out for an official D&D book. So the first chapter of this book dives into the history of Tal'Darai specifically. So we're learning about some of the ancient stuff that happened, how the races came to be with the elves coming first and then the dwarves and eventually the humans uh, and then races further from there. And you're learning about the different things that have happened, including the great conflict where you have the humans rising up against the primordials, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, guys? There's a couple sunderings. I think the primordials were earlier, and then the humans do rise up and get arrogant like they usually do and decide to battle the gods. Uh, I think it's the cataclysm is three parts. Right. Um, You are correct. So it's the calamity, which was the first big one. Uh, and then you do have the issue where they had some fallen gods, some angry gods who have kind of gone away, if you will, from what the other gods are doing and cited they they tempted humans, if you will, to join them. Yeah, I liked I liked reading about it. I like the uh, the fact that the primordials, the elementals were there um, and their chaos is what really helped funnel the uh, corruption. And, and it's it's interesting because, again, here, this book is written by Matt Mercer and James Heck. And, and the amount of detail that they have put into the creation of Exandria is fantastic. You really have, in this first chapter, you have enough history to guide you, but not so much that you feel like you are rooted into it. You can do some minor tweaks and changes to it. Right. Ron, it, does, it does a good job, too, of explaining why things are. Um, I know with the Wildmount book, it becoming a D&D thing it clears up some of the stuff. But remember when you're reading through this, this was a part homebrew. Uh, they originally started with Pathfinder rules, uh, eventually kind of moved over to D&D, but they weren't partnered with Wizards. So you'll see uh, deities and stuff like that that are very familiar to uh, a deity in one of those books, but I'm assuming because of copyright issues, they couldn't do it. So take some of this here and then when we talk about the wild mount we can see the updates they made because a lot of them did get converted over to actual uh you know cord and and bahamut versus the platinum dragon you know and some of that stuff you wouldn't be talking of the matron of ravens would you <laughs> yeah and and that's a lot of it i mean a lot of them are like that and 
again, why they're there, it's very different. Um, having the gods actually be, you know, kind of in a, a self exile to keep the, the betrayers away is kind of a neat take on it. I, looking at the one shot that we're looking at coming in, just seeing the, how the elementals still play a part with the, the Genasi, seeing how the ASMR are, because there is no direct path to godhood. They are just like a, a spark of divine born to humans. And so it has a completely different feel than, you know, like a Hercules tale of Zeus coming down and being a hoe or something. So Gods being hoes, what? Yeah, classic. And I, I really like the section on the Chroma Conclave. Now, that was one of the things that I really enjoyed about the first season of Critical Role because it was probably, although I had heard about it and kind of watched highlights of it, I think the whole Chroma Conclave section was where I really came into it. So it's really fascinating for me to read about that in the book and and see just how that whole thing came about and how it was the the idea of being or bringing this these ancient dragons back into the world so they could kind of, well, take over. I like, and I think that's kind of a testament to maybe the older style of play. Um, I don't feel like I get this kind of stuff with uh, maybe the fifth edition books because maybe it was too much information, but the I love the factions. I like, you know, in, in fifth edition, you know, you get a little bit on the Harpers, but not this style of breakdown for these groups, you know, their goals, who's leading them, their relationships. Uh, I know we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more, but even like you were talking earlier in our outside the podcast, uh, the population breakdowns. I mean, there's a lot of like too much information that I never have felt as too much information that they've gone away from. And this book has that old, it, it feels like an old school book. For sure. For sure. Other things that you get in chapter one is the breakdown of the pantheon of Xandria. Now, there's these gods aren't necessarily named, so to speak. They get things like uh, the change bringer or she who makes the path. So you, you get things like that. Uh, and there's some great sigils for each of the gods, uh, which I thought was the artwork is just fantastic for that. So I, I thought that was interesting that, you know, they do create this this pantheon and and really go from the top down with it. So not only do you get, the, of course, the pantheon of all the gods, you also get the betrayer gods, uh, which was again just very well done very well broken out i know it like nolan said i I have to imagine it was all because of you know um copyright stuff like of course there's the spider queen which you read it it sounds a whole lot like loth yeah and in the wild mount book it is loth uh you know the lords of hell is asmodeus um i think the all father is like morden the storm lord is cord so you can you can see them directly <laughs> there and they did a nice job of uh, tiptoeing around that yeah yeah absolutely. skilled tyrants tiamat <laughs> because of course it is uh, chapter one also gives you the races of Taldride. now i will say if you were hoping to get a different race you're not going to get it in here in this book um you do get like your basic races as well as the goliaths uh, because obviously um, Travis Willingham played Grog, who was a Goliath barbarian. So why wouldn't they include that? You know, I think some of the, um, they did a nice job of the basics of them. I think Dragonborn are a lot more important uh, in this world and the history uh, mm-hmm. than we see probably in, in D&D. Uh, it kind of comes as an afterthought, maybe because they came in fourth edition. And here it, he made it really a big part of his world. 
with uh, Draconia um, and, and just giving it a real solid dedicated area for those Dragonborn, even to the fact that there's two different kinds. I, I thought the Dragonborn were very well fleshed out. Now, And again, you have to imagine that they're trying to tiptoe around copywriting um, or copyright laws, because when you do read this, you do get like the dwarves are Mountain Hill and Durgar, which, as we all know, are straight out of D&D. The elves are wood high and drow. Again, pulling straight out of the, the lore that is Dungeons and Dragons. Halflings, humans, dragonborns, Ganassi, Goliath, gnomes, uh, tieflings. So lots of races to choose from in Exandria. I don't see things like Asimirs, though. I don't and I'm trying, to th- I'm trying to think of uh, when the book came out, if they'd been fledged out all the way. I know we do get them in Wild Mount. Uh, I know you do get the elementals. Uh, I think what else, but they did add some more the Aarakocra, um, and so it could just be that there either time period that it wasn't developed yet, or when they were getting ready to make Wild Mount and go into that stuff, they opened it up because they had players wanting to play some of that stuff, so they had to give them a home. So you can tell this was uh, a world built around the players, like you said, because you know you have a Goliath playing the game. Why did they make the book and Asimir didn't, uh, or Tieflings or something like that? Well, you didn't have Tieflings until the second book, and so in Wild Mount, yeah, here's a whole section on Tieflings. Right. And, and I do think, you know, I was thinking maybe it had something to do with the release of Volos. Now, Volos came out in 2016. I do know that this book, Taldrai, was was pushed back a little bit a couple times. I would not be surprised to learn that it was already written. And that's why they couldn't pull things like Asimir or Kenku or things like that that were in Volos. Yeah. And some of that stuff was in the DMG and hard to find rules. So it's nice to at least get an updated with it. And they did. They did a good job of bringing in a lot of the the classes that have been added into the future book. The next part of chapter one is the factions and societies of Taldorai. Again, if you were a fan of Critical Role, every one of these should feel very, very familiar to you. Cody, were there any factions of Taldorai that you were particularly fond of? Well, so we originally, like the big one, probably the Ashari, you know, because it followed Keyleth so much. But I was always a huge fan of the Brawlers League when Grog went and did the Brawlers League stuff. So it's nice to see them in there. Okay. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about the Brawlers League then? So the Brawlers League is, um, um, it's kind of like that blood sport fighting ring. They have um, that whole like entertainment and. So basically it's exactly how it sounds. It's a. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, like to fight it's like MMA. Game. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, that sums it up pretty good. (laughs) It's Fight Club. We don't talk about the Ballers League. Oh, you're right. We don't talk about Fight Club. Sorry. (laughs) See how you are. So that wraps up chapter one. Um, What I liked about chapter one is it does give us a very good introduction to Exandria and to the continent of Taldorai. It does explain to us the history. And and I like the fact, I mean, there was even a line in the book that specifically says that this is just a guidebook. If you want to change it, you can. There are parts of this continent that have not been fleshed out and it is your story. Change it however you want. And I like the part where it says not even Matt Mercer will tell you you're wrong if you change it the way you want to. So I thought that was really well done. Chapter one is a great introduction to Exandria and into uh, Taldorai as the continent itself. So as you move on to chapter two, the Gazetteer of Taldorai, you get to learn a little bit more about, of course, the whole the whole continent. And, and it's not just, you know, the history. Now you're learning about the culture. You're learning about some of the holidays and the passage of time and things like that. So I thought chapter two was, again, just a great 
continuing a, a continuation of chapter one in that it's guiding us through this this continent to help us be more entered or not introduced but more immersed into this world then chapter two is a major part of it um you could get overwhelmed real easy if you tried to do uh, or learn all of it. But if you were going to start someplace in your campaign and need to know the surrounding areas and what the people are like, you know, people are adventuring in you know a, a small town, definitely gives you a great idea on building it, how interaction and who you wouldn't want to make mad. Um, pull a little bit of from chapter one, put in a couple of factions that they could interact with, and you have a fairly easy path of fleshing out a, an area for your guys to at least kind of, or gals, uh, spend their first few levels. And most of the areas do have like an, at least one or two listed um, options for things going wrong, larger scale quest type things too. Uh, the other thing I really liked about chapter two was the breakdown of the individual you know, towns, locations, and cities. You, I mean, from the point of like this little village only has 300 people in it to, what is it, Vasselheim, that is the largest city in the realm? Uh, so should, should be, yeah. I think that's correct. Yeah, I think it's like 270,000 people. So you have these, you know, very small, again, this is the attention to detail that James and Matt put into this book. You have these really small towns with a quick history of them. It's not a lot, understand. It's not like you're having pages upon pages of, 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 um, history about each town it's like a couple paragraphs but it's enough that you can say okay in vasselheim uh, you know large city and then i remember correctly there's even some story hooks with each of these yeah so you have these great little you know these cities like okay here's this cool you know city here's some things that happen and here's some reasons why your players would be here and some of the stuff that they would do this is again just a tipping off point for you to get going i like that they're not like oh hey you want to play in our world fine here's the exact city that you're going to be playing in here's the mayor you cannot change it don't even think about it mr adventurer this is how it's going to be nope instead you got here's the city here's some background here's some reasons why they might be here just some suggestions uh and have fun the world is yours. It's open. Do what you need to. So chapter two gives us a breakdown, like I said, of those locations, of everything that happens in those locations, including areas that you don't want to go to, like the Parchwood Timberlands. I love that they included the legend of a headless horseman in the Parchwood Timberlands. Well, I think they do a good job, too, of like uh, each little section has its own little kind of footnote. Um, I know we get to see some stuff on like a, I know there's a cursed weapon somewhere in there. Talks about the sky ships. I don't know. It's kind of a, a great I think it's if I would if you were going to make your own town, too, in this year, it does a good job of showing you how to do it. Of OK, this is what we felt was important enough for Amon. Um, if you're making Sheridan in here, here's some things to think about. Is it a port? Does it how do they travel? What's the feature? Why would anybody go there? You know, is there you know, I think there's a picture of like a, a giant telescope or it looks like a viewing tower, you know, like, OK, what's the significance for people to be here? What's your population and give them something bad to happen. And cool, you just built your own little town. Go nuts. You mentioned the sky ships and I can't help but call out page 93. There's uh, some artwork of one of the sky ships and I, I stopped when I was first flipping through this. And there's also a description of sky ships. I stopped when I was first flipping through this and was like, holy shit, that's badass. It really reminds me of World of Warcraft, but instead of having giant propellers like they do in WoW, it looks like these are ether fueled. Well, and just so we don't get called out too much, the largest city listed in the book is Amon. I don't actually see an entry for Vasselheim. Vasselheim, there's a notation in the first chapter about it. Vasselheim's actually, I believe, 
in a different continent to the north. So that's chapter two, locations. And again, the biggest city is Amon, not Vaseline. Shame on me. <laughs> so chapter three, Cody, tell us about chapter three. What is in there? Chapter three is a lot of your um, bonus character creation, player class option breakdowns. So we start with blood domain for clerics, jump into a path for uh, barbarians. There's a new origin for sorcerers, which I'm surprised Nolan has never done a tried to do a rune child. We've never been much into runes uh, personally, and I think you know, looking at some of this stuff too, uh, I think the big bad guy for Garog uh, was a path of the juggernaut. So seeing him make some of his bad guys based around some of this stuff too, again, has some of those Easter eggs uh, and nice feels to it. And I mean, some of, some of these um, subclasses are built straight out of places like the way of the cobalt soul. Um, we saw them deal with the cobalt reserve and the monks there. So those like really, give that a little extra flavor to me. And then we've got, of course, uh, backgrounds, the clasp, the uh, black network, so to speak. You get a background for that. The Irish, or the Asharian general. And then a quite a chunk of new feats. I don't know if you looked through any of those at all, Nolan. I did, and I wondered if some of that stuff was allowed for carryover from their Pathfinder time, just because Pathfinder is more feat-heavy. Uh, I didn't feel like any of them were too, uh, well, I mean, we could be game breaking, but I do like the idea behind uh, adding some of that stuff to, again, make the story your own, give some people some new options that feel like they're playing in the world. Uh, nice to finally see somebody mess with uh, throwing because I feel like a dagger thing hasn't been done properly or with the attention to detail that it should and double concentration at a cost of your own life force i thought was kind of cool as well i think there's that ability in those epic moments to pull upon your personal reserves or your willpower that we see in like vampire and that kind of stuff of this is a moment where i need to sacrifice uh, it gives you an opportunity for that and have it be in the game not just a role play thing but actually have a a tactic or an ability to say, okay, this is the moment that I'm going to sacrifice and, and be able to push it. I agree. And I do think that the throne arms master or the throne. Yeah. Throne arms master was done well too. And then we fall into the vestiges. So anybody yeah. that watched the show knows about vestiges. And uh, the first thing I will say is if you did watch the show, uh, first season, anyway, all 373 hours of uh, playtime, there are not all of the vestiges in that game. There are more listed in the book. And I think it's interesting when you read about the vestiges, these are great artifacts that were created years and years and years ago. And as you find them, they grow with you. And this is something we've talked quite a bit about on our show is about magical items and how the three of us really enjoy having magical items that grow with our characters. So as they move along, you know, you have this, this magical item that once you do something, it triggers growth within the magical item. Um, and it could be, you know, anything. It just depends on your DM. And these are broken down so you can see how that's done. And he definitely does even go into there's a whole small section in here on advancement of vestiges and things that may or may not help you know when to trigger them. And then there's a guide down towards the bottom on 
roughly when that should happen as you as you don't want a you know fifth level character wielding an exalted vestige or maybe you do <laughs> or maybe you do uh and again i want to point out the artwork on page 110 is a great piece of artwork of vox machina yeah seeing them with all their vestiges and i did enjoy reading uh, on some of the vestiges that we actually didn't see in the campaign there's some pretty interesting ones there that he, he either came up with before or post that are pretty neat. I think that's a good example too. If we talk about a lot of times and I know Patrick mentions a lot where you, you take the time and you create this stuff that never gets touched. Not everybody's fortunate enough to get to put out a campaign guide to say, Hey, look at all the other cool things. If I had a monk, here's some fist wraps, or if we had had a wizard, here's a robe, but I did make them just in case, or if they met somebody or if somebody died, you had to have that stuff there. But I think it's a good example of all the times that you make, all this work and your players go, ah, I think we're going to go left. And you're like, but everything I did was right. Son of a, okay, here we go. And you're along for the ride. Well, and I did appreciate, I think it's the second vestige, the armor of the valiant soul that says it's actually owned and worn by Chimanza Ord, which is one of the NPC characters. So it's interesting to know that he had a vestige on him. Yeah, that's cool. It, they're, they're, they're all pretty neat. I like how some of them fit the classes that ended up going with them. It's curious to, it'd be neat to know kind of chicken or the egg, I suppose, if he made the vestige to fit their play style or if their play style changed to fit what they were trying to do. You know, Whisperer is a, a pretty cool dagger with some teleportation options. Um, if that was something that, you know, the player was like, I really want to do this someday, you know, or he was misty stepping around all over the place and you're like, all right, let's give it to him. Right, right. After the vestiges, we get some alternate rules. And some of these are rules that if you were a fan of the show, you got to see during the show. And I thought these were very interesting. They talk about mass combat. They talk about accelerated downtown. And the one that I really liked and actually ended up not not using the rules here, but applying the concept to a game is the the alternate uh, the alternative resurrection rules. I believe it was Percy had gotten killed. I want to say it was Percy and they brought him back to can't remember where they brought him. Anyway, they, they brought him back to a cleric. Uh, they brought him to Pike, but Pike wasn't able to do it. And I just remember the scene where, you know, here's Percy lying dead and, and uh, Marisha Keyleth was literally in the game in the, on the show crying every, every, in fact, everybody on the show was just devastated as, as you know, you had Talison's character Percy laying there on the table and and going through this whole resurrection. Am I remember this correctly, guys? Based on the story I'm going to go with, it was probably Laura Bailey that was crying, being that she had a love thing going with Percy. But that could be I could be off on that. Oh, I'm, I'm positive. And it, I was going to say, and it it depends on which time. I think they all died a couple times too. So yeah, yeah. Well, there was this very cool resurrection scene with, and I want to say it was Percy, uh, that they were bringing him back and, and Talison was out of the room and had already worked everything out with Matt and how things were going to go. And you got to see the players. And I just remember Matt was like, you know, talking to the players and saying, you know, basically give them a reason to come back. And it was just this really, really powerful role play moment. And I like that they, and I, that they've included alternative resurrection rules, because I do think when you have parties that play together and they play together for a long time and the character dies, it shouldn't just be, Oh, well crumble that one up and throw it away. It should be a powerful moment. And, and in fact, the resurrection of Zend Nolan, we ended up making it, you know, the story was such that we made it this really powerful moment um, where we had this character that, 
came back uh, through an asymir and, and came back to life, if you will, uh, through this resurrection. I, I agree with you. And I also would say that I dislike the other end of the spectrum where resurrection is something that's possible if you have that cleric. So it's kind of like, a, oh, well, if we die, we'll just get resurrected. Right. I think death should be a big deal and, and it should be, you know, it, you have a way of making it really cool. And, and coming back really cool. And and I like that they've included some alternative resurrection rules. For sure. For sure. They can be some of the most powerful moments in the game. Well, and when you take a death off the table, it takes an element out of the game just in general. So then we have, we should be into chapter four at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. So now we have allies and adversaries. Nolan, you want to tell us a little bit about this chapter? Uh, Yeah, it just is kind of a deeper dive into things that you may or may not come across. So it's not just about the players. This here gives you a little bit to do with the creatures, monsters, beast folk, aberrations, uh, goblin kind, you know, that kind of stuff. So you know that they're in the world, uh, gives you an idea of where their mindset is or what they're doing how they're going to interact with people if they're scraping by for a living uh, or if they're wanting to just be left alone. So you can kind of role play that as a DM to help make the world more alive. And I think it is kind of, it's kind of a, a mini, not necessarily monsters manual because you don't get the stats, but it's a monster mind mindset, I guess, if you will. So uh, it does have some stat blocks for some people, NPCs that you might meet uh, going throughout the world, uh, just kind of their take or Matt's take on what their stats would look like so you can help make your you know if it's a band of thieves or a you know some of the class some of the elementals whether it's a goliath that you're going to run up against or you know some of the dwarves you at least see why they are the way they are through an example but it is just kind of one stat block and it's a it's a good starting point for maybe if you're creating a a tribe of how you would build them for sure for sure and no Aaron patrick i would just point out 135 since you've been really loving the artwork I'm going there now. Hold on. The Craghammer Goat Knight. Yep. That's pretty badass. I do like the uh, the Goliath Stormborns as well. The artwork for those guys. That's pretty freaking awesome. Gosh, even the Cyclops. You know, it's just fantastic artwork in this book. Yeah, there are some really neat things too. Like there's a pretty good breakdown on the Ravagers. I really enjoyed like kind of looking into that. And the Ravager Stabby Stabbers. The name of the city I couldn't remember was Whitestone. That was the one that they took Percy back to to have him resurrected. I gotcha. Yeah, that was his uh, family home. At the back of the book, there is a fold-out map. I have not pulled mine out of my book yet. Uh, I, I have this vision that when my oldest son moves out, I'm going to convert his room into, well, my room. And it's going to have some of these maps that are just beautifully done uh i'm gonna frame them and put them up in that room along with all the other nerd shit that's in my house that seems to end up in places where my wife wishes it would go somewhere else if it makes you feel any better mine is in the back of my book still too yeah i have not pulled it out i just i can't bring myself to separate it from the book yet i think this is this is one of those books that uh if i ever made it to like a pop culture con or a comic con and and any of the cast of critical role was there or even matt or james heck himself were there i would absolutely want to get it signed like nolan did with travis last year 
<laughs> he says. But of course, with everything going on right now, we probably won't have a convention for a while. Anyway, uh, staying with happier stuff. So that's that's the book in a nutshell. And and I want to you know throw this out there real quick so people understand. We do not claim to be experts on Critical Role. We enjoy the show, but we don't. Neither of us, I don't think. Well, Cody may, because I know Cody had a group of people watching it at a time at one time. Don't have necessarily the time to sit down and, and watch every week. I have training on Thursdays. Nolan has other things that he does. And Cody, are you guys still getting together to watch it? No, um, I will say I did watch all of the first season. Um, yeah, that's a lot of a lot of watch hours. Like I said, it's like 373 hours of playtime, like 400 and some if you count in their half hour break that they put in the middle of those episodes. Um, but I'm nowhere near caught up on the second season. Nolan, did you watch all of the first season? I don't think I watched all of it. Um, I know I didn't watch a lot of the the newer stuff. I've gone back and try and catch like the first like 10 episodes um, just to kind of see where they started the campaign. But I did watch the the second half of it. Gotcha. And I watched I watched quite a bit of it. A lot of it for me was I would put it on after I got home from training. And usually that meant I was able to watch about an hour before I fell asleep because I was just exhausted. So it's, I mean, I think the whole idea of Critical Role and the show itself is fantastic. I love what they do and I love the attention that it's brought to this hobby that we all love so well. But please understand, we do not claim to be experts. So this is just our opinion of the book. We know we probably got some stuff wrong. So if you're a Critical Role fanatic, you can happily send us a message. We'll read through it. Just understand that we know we made mistakes. So that's the book as a whole, guys. Uh, like I said, you can purchase it on Amazon. Do either of you have anything else you'd like to say about this book? I Actually, I want to ask both of you. Is this a book you would recommend that you add to your RPG library? Nolan? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, again, I... It feels like an old school book. It feels like it came from, you know, some Pathfinder, some 3.5 background. I like the detail. The art alone probably makes it uh, a worthy purchase. But you can you can see the creation of this world. Uh, and if anything, use it as a reference guide to making your own. I know going back and, and looking how I would DM or if I was going to make something, I would probably use this closer to a reference than anything else I've seen so far out of fifth edition, just because it's, it's a great example uh, of just kind of giving enough information without getting so bogged down into like you were saying of like, well, this is the mayor and he's the 13th generation of it. And he's got this history and Oh, the rogue just stabbed him in the back and the dwarfs now the mayor shit i just wasted all that time on it so i think it's a way to create a world get a feel for it and then also have your players be able to mold it to fit their story what about you cody um well i own it in my rpg library <laughs> um but yes uh i i really enjoy this book because i like the way that matt does a lot of his stuff i think that if you're a DM and you're looking at creating your own stuff, it is a great reference material for that. It gives you how he, you know, kind of sprouted off and did his own thing with like the vestiges. I like, we've talked about this multiple times that I really, really enjoy that like scaling magical item that grows with the character. And one of the things that I really enjoy about what Matt does is he, you know, everything is so deep but he still always tends to like we talked about here there's you can tell that a lot of it's built around his players and that's 
truly important. So taking this book and having it in your library and using it as a tool, maybe even not to play in Tal'Dorei, but just as a tool to create what you're doing or as a reference for things that you might have, um, I think is a, it's a great book. This is a, you know, I bought it when it first came out. I was happy to buy it because I think like, like both of you have said, there's been so much work put into this. The artwork is fantastic, which I've mentioned several times now. And it's just James and Matt did an excellent job writing this book. And I know I can't imagine not having it because it is such an excellent book. And it is really a great book to have in addition to the wild mount book as well that just came out. So I think you know, it gives you a great setting or a great base for Wildmount in, in the history of Exandria and even Tal'Darai. And it gives you a nice leaping off point, like Cody says, to use to create your own world and just kind of see how other people have done it. So excellent addition to any RPG library, in my opinion. All right, guys, do we have anything else we'd like to say about the book? Not for me. Cody? Oh, I'm good. Well, then, then we have reached that point of the show where if people would like to contact you, you can tell them how to do it. Nolan? Uh, I'm Nolan, and you can get me on Twitter at nlemires. I'm Cody, and you can also get me on Twitter at alphalcd. And, of course, I'm Patrick, and you can find me at all of the social medias at 307RPG, with the exception of Facebook, because, yeah, whatever. So, uh, again, great book. It is in, I do have a link to the Amazon in uh, the show notes. So if you want to check it out, please do. Next week, we'll be talking about the Blood Hunter class, kind of breaking that down, talking about our experiences, having played it. At least one of us has played it. So tune in for that. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>